Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy, howdy, friends and neighbors, and welcome once again back to the old Grass Talk Radio podcast. I am going to admit, once again, admitting my shortcomings, that I've been a little slack on doing the podcast lately, and I just want to tell you why, as if you didn't already know. You know, with the world in a blender and everything is all topsy-turvy, first thing is, our house is now a school. So everybody's a homeschooler now, if you have school-aged children, um, Actually, technically, Jackson is now out of school. So, but you know, I used to have the same problem. Um, you know, whenever summer came around during the day, during the school year, you know, Jackson's off at school, so the house was a lot quieter. And my wife would be off at work doing her thing, and I would have lots of quiet time. And it was very easy to sit around and actually do some thinking and scratch out some little notes on a legal pad or something and then set up the recording gear and do the podcast. Well, you know, since all this stuff's been going on, it's been a little more difficult to find quiet time, even just time to, you know, spend 20 minutes and think about, hmm, what am I going to talk about this week? So I hope you understand. I have no intention of quitting. Uh, certainly not over this. And, uh, but, but the other thing is I find myself sometimes um, not really wanting to think about bluegrass. And you may be the same way. Now, it doesn't mean I don't love bluegrass. I think I've proven that by now. And I'm sure the same is true for you. But how many times have I said, you can't do bluegrass sitting around on your couch. You got to go. Go to a festival. Go to a jam. That, this is my whole thing that I have preached and preached and preached. And bluegrass is, a, is filled with a very gregarious type of person who likes to get out and about. And I always encourage that, that you're going to be a better player if you go play. You go play with other people. Uh, but alas, as we all know, Right now, our overlords have declared that this is not wise, not possible. And I promised in an email to a listener just yesterday. Well, I didn't actually promise, but I, I'm more or less. Okay, let me, let me back up. I've been getting some emails from people. Hey, we missed the podcast. You know, hey, you know, all this kind of stuff. Hope you're doing okay. You know, look forward to the next podcast and, you know. We're still out here and, you know, it kind of stinks right now that we can't pick and all that and, you know, hope you're doing fine and et cetera, et cetera. And I wrote back to this guy and I said, look, I'll be honest. If I say what I think, first of all, it won't be about bluegrass. And I don't really want to do that. I, I wanted this podcast to be about bluegrass and in particular for people who are learning to play bluegrass and to me, the whole thing of learning to play bluegrass is you got to do your homework and then you got to go out and do it in the field. You know, you got to do your field work and your homework. And right now, you simply can't. 
So I'm just sitting here beating a dead horse. What am I going to do? Talk about, hey, 10, 10 great gadgets you should take to the Bluegrass Festival next. You know, what am I? It's just hard to get my heart into it. <sighs> so anyway, I wrote that guy and I said, you know, I'm afraid that if I got on, you know, every time I turn on record, I hit record. And I start. I've got an idea. You know, I'm going to talk about how to adjust your bridge, adjustable bridges. Or I've got one. I'm going to talk all about frets and fretboards. And I hit record and I start talking and I've got some notes. And then I veer off into this all-consuming idea that seems to have taken over the entire world. And I really just want to talk about that. But then I say, well, no. Because that's not what this podcast is about. I shouldn't talk about that. Well, I spread my negativity around to all of you. So I would just hit stop and go, I'll do this tomorrow. So this has gone on. And I, I just want you to know that I, I haven't stopped. And I haven't quit. And my love for bluegrass is as profound as ever. I'm just hoping and praying that good old common sense will once again take over. Now, having said all that, and that's all I'm going to say in this episode about all of that, well, let me just give you a little garden update. I think, you know, I'm trying to relate everything to bluegrass, you know. Gardening is, in a remote sort of way, six degrees of separation, uh, related to bluegrass. And I, I'm going to make this case. The sort of people who started bluegrass, they knew about gardening. They knew about raising crops and chickens and raising hogs and plowing with a mule and this sort of thing. Bluegrass is a very, is rooted in what I would call the old time ways. And many of the songs are about you know, the transition from the old-time ways into the new technological world. Things like, you know, the song when Bill Monroe, uh, There Is No Light in the Window. You know, he's gone off to Chicago to work in the Sinclair oil refinery cleaning barrels and, you know, comes back home and there's nobody there. The house is empty, all the people are gone, you know, dead, moved away. Uh, or, or just read the lyrics of Old Home Place. And it's this transitional period being put out in the form of song, which is, you know, partly a fond remembrance of the old ways and also an uneasiness and a blues about the changes. Now, once again, I've talked myself into a corner. I'm not sure where I was going with that other than to say that those people, they all had gardens, and I've got a garden, and I just want to tell you a little bit about the garden, because one thing that can clear your mind of your troubles, if you're reading the Drudge Report or CNN or something too much, or your Facebook news feed, I suggest that instead of that, you plant some plants, get you some seeds, Get you some little plants, even if it's one pepper plant in a pot on your porch. Talk about alliteration. 
or go hog wild like I do and grow food. It's a wonderful thing to do. And, you know, I was thinking back on my grandparents, how their cellars were just full of mason jars, full of, you know, stuff they put up, you know, it was crazy. I, I, I'll do that whole subject in a, another time where I talk about my grandparents on both sides of my family. I'll, I'll do that one of these days if you, if you just want to hear some tales of my youth. But um, I tend to do the same thing. You know, hardly a year has gone by in my adult life that I haven't at least had, you know, a cucumber vine or some tomatoes or something growing. So I'm just going to real quick, since I have encouraged you to garden right now is the time, do it, don't wait. Go diggy up a little patch in the yard and put some seeds in the ground and pull the weeds. Make sure you, you got to stay on top of the weeds. Don't let the weeds take it over. You know, I think a lot of people don't know enough about gardening. They think you put the seed in the ground and then the seed pack says harvest in 80 days. And they think they're going to come back in 80 days. And if you just walk away and you come back in 80 days, you won't even find that plant. You're going to find every invasive weed species known to man flourishing without any input from you. And you're not going to find your little carrot that you plant. <laughs> You've got to go out there. I do it about every other day and pull the weeds, preferably right after a nice rain or, or a good soaking because the weeds just pop right out if the ground is nice and soft. Just going to tell you about the garden. I'm just going to rattle off what I'm growing. And when I have my big picking session, when all this is over, it's going to be a mask-free, cell phone-free picking session right out here at the barn. So any of you locals who happen to listen, I'm going to do that. Um, we're just going to throw down a picking like normal. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a little while. And part of that is going to be a huge feast. So let me tell you what all I'm growing in the garden. And while I'm out there on my hands and knees picking weeds out, I'm thinking about all this bluegrass stuff, and I'm wishing I was at a bluegrass festival right now. But, you know, hey, can't do that right now. So let me tell you about the garden. I'm just going to tell you what I am growing this year, and i got to kind of mentally picture it in my mind. I don't have a list. It's sort of, my garden is divided into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven little patches, you might say, with a strip between them just wide enough to run the mower through and little walkways, you know. So I, I dig up these patches and I like them to be about maybe maximum of five feet wide so that I can get on my hands and knees and weed to the center from the side without actually, in other words, I don't have to walk in the garden. They're, they're fairly narrow, long strips that I can, you know, access with a hoe or whatever from the outside. So let me just run down some of what I'm growing, and hopefully it will encourage you to get out there and grow some plants right now. Because, as you know, sometimes you go to the grocery store and it's limit two per customer, or they simply just don't have any of whatever it is. And see, if I go to the store and there is no chicken... I'm not too concerned about it. You know, I've got some chickens, you know, 
find one of those hens who has stopped laying two years ago and has turned into a pet? Now, my wife would not appreciate me talking about potentially turning <laughs> one of the hens into chicken and dumplings, but, uh, you know, it's just something I keep in the back of my mind in case of emergencies. So the garden. I'm growing, of course, tomatoes. There's a tomato that I just dearly love, and it's called pineapple. That's the name of the variety. I bought the seeds, I don't know, 10 years ago from Baker Creek. If you want to get some good heirloom seeds, go to Baker Creek Seeds. I don't know what their situation is currently under the current conditions, but um, that's where I originally got this tomato. It's called pineapple, and that joker is amazing best eating tomato. If you just want to sit down and just eat the tomato, not for cooking and making pasta sauce and all that stuff. This is just one of those good summer eating uh, tomatoes. And they grow, a big one will be two pounds, small one, about a half a pound. And they're big, wide, multicolored yellow, pinks, oranges, and red. And they're just beautiful. And man, are they good. So, I started my little seeds, you know, months, uh, weeks ago, and, you know, they got up to two leaves and then their second leaves, and, you know, I just got slews of these seedlings and then have been moving them into larger pots, and, I, you know, I was moving them inside and outside, and now they're in the garden. I've got, uh, they are probably about chest high right now. So I'm growing pineapple tomatoes. Also, I have a whole bunch of too many tomato plants. So I'm actually going to sit down. I'm going to uh, put up my 10 by 10 at my gate at down at the front of the pasture, probably Saturday morning if the weather is nice. I'm just going to go down there and set up either an umbrella or the 10 by 10 and my little folding table. And I'm just going to put all them plants on there and put me a little sign out by the road, you know, plants. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I'm going to sell them. I'm thinking I might. I probably get three bucks a piece for those. I mean, some of those tomato plants are 12 inches tall. And if you're around close by, come see me. I'll hook you up with some pineapple tomato plants. Got a bunch of them. So I got that going. I uh, got some various cherry tomatoes, one called Tommy Toes. They're about they're almost up to my neck in height right now. Those things grow. Man, you want to grow a cherry tomato, a world-class, like, world record 30 feet high, you know, type of tomato, plant a cherry tomato. Those jokers grow. You really need to hack them back once in a while. I mean, they're just taking over. So I've got those, and believe me, that'll be enough tomatoes and we can, um, I usually, when we have just an excess of tomatoes, I put them in the dehydrator. I cut them up and put them in the dehydrator and also save seeds from them, which is simple to do. You just got to learn a little something about how to do it. Not complicated. Just get the Encyclopedia of Country Living by Carla Emery. I have the 10th edition. That's my favorite um, book about all this stuff because, hey, you know what? It Google may not tell you what you want to know. And if you got a book, you know, this thing's the size of a phone book, the Encyclopedia of Country Living. I highly recommend it. Okay, so 
got a few peppers. You know, I always get covered up with peppers. I've got a few, a few pepper plants out there. I've got watermelon, Georgia rattlesnake watermelon. Got a big old area. And those things, they, they were looking a little wimpy at first. And I think it was because the weather was too cool. And now that it's turned good and hot, they are taking off, sending runners out everywhere. So I got my Georgia rattlesnake watermelon, which is a big old, like a 30-pounder, big old stripe-looking thing. Hopefully we'll get some good watermelons. Also got cantaloupes, um, kind of all in amongst there. And, and my bean patch is, uh, you know, your basic pole beans. And the variety that I like is called Blue Lake. It's got a white bean. So you can, you can let them go all the way to dry beans and basically have white beans. Or you can, you know, obviously cut them up and use them as green beans. And I like them because they're not as stringy as the old Kentucky Wonder, which I have a few Kentucky Wonder going out there too. I got a little carrot patch, a little beet patch. I got a massive patch of lettuce, just a leaf lettuce, butter crunch. I mean, this is crazy. Um, just, I'm going to put some photos up on the show notes page, just to show you kind of before and after, you know, like what one month of good growing conditions can do. It's amazing. Anyway, most of that, um, lettuce will not probably get eaten because, you know, it just gets too hot down here in South Georgia for, for lettuce. So it'll bolt and make seed and I'll save seed for next year. So lettuce is one of those things around here. When the getting's good, you get it. And when, then it's over. Kind of like figs. When the figs are all ripe on the tree, you just gorge yourself on figs, but then, you know, they're gone. <laughs> and I had this guy one time, I took a bunch of figs down to the little farmer's market in town. And this chef guy came up. He was a chef at a hotel in town. He's like, yo, those are beautiful figs. I was like, would, would you like some? He's like, well, um, in September, if you could get me blah, 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 you know, two bushels or something. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You get the figs when they're ready. You don't order the figs. You, you can't say, this is like in July, you know. And he's telling me in September he would like figs. I'm like, forget about it. You're not going to get, you know, there won't be any figs. And so the guy didn't know anything. You know, he, I guess he's used to all produce coming in on a plane from some part of the world. Anyway, let's just real quick get out of this garden thing. Tell you what else I'm growing. Potatoes. I got a big old patch, seven rows of Kennebex, which is a big old white potato. And they are growing. They've gone through. They're in their fourth stage of growth, and there are five. The fourth stage is when they're blooming. They're as tall as they're going to get, and they are putting on flowers. And this is the time when the tubers really start going. And in a month, they'll start to fade and yellow, and, you know, it'll be time. The potato patch is just awesome. Incredible. The rows have filled in. There are no rows anymore. It's just a gigantic mass. Looks like a kudzu patch. It's incredible. My peas, my poor old peas did not do well. I planted them just like every year. And they just don't, they're just not doing. I mean, they look horrible. So my little pea patch, I'm going to, a couple of rows look okay. 
I'm going to reserve those and try to get some seed for next year and just plow the rest of that up and do something else there. Probably put some pumpkins in there or something. Just, for, you know, because if I get the pumpkins in about June the 15th, they'll be ready for Halloween. So get my pumpkins out there. What else have I got? Oh, squash. The squash is like crazy. Huge. Those things are three foot tall. Just, just completely have taken over their little area. And that's your basic crookneck squash. You got some zucchini that are a little farther behind. I got my sweet potato patch. Onions. I got onions going. Um, radishes, which I've been succession planting each Every two weeks, I put another little row, and you can grow them in little small areas. And the first ones are just about to get pulled out and eaten. Uh, what else have I got going on? Um, well, that's enough, you know. Plus, got the chickens and the eggs and all that. So that's the old garden update. Now, I've killed 20 minutes talking about all this stuff and how life's all upside down. I thought that I would take the balance of the episode and just read some of these favor emails that I asked about. I believe it was bonus episode nine called do me a favor. And these have been coming in and I was getting Jackson to read one or two of them each episode. Anyway, they're just beginning to pile up. So I thought I would just read some favor emails and I, once again, encourage you to go back and listen to bonus episode nine, do me a favor. And participate as well. I think it would be helpful for all of us to get to know each other. You know, since I can't go to a festival right now and bump into you and go, hey, that's a cool looking pop-up camper, you know, that's that's really cool. And then get to know you and where you're from and what you play. And then we pick later that night and can't do that right now. So we can do that through this favor email system where listen to the podcast, you'll know what to do. Send me a little Thing. So I'm just going to read some of these until I've, you know, burned up enough disk space on this handy recorder, the H4N, sent to me by a patron, which brings up a point. I want to say thank you to the patrons of the show. Honestly, you guys are making it happen. I just got my bills for re-upping my domain name uh, for grasstalkradio.com and also my website hosting. And then I got to pay for the Podbean hosting and all these things. And a couple of those bills rolled in recently and Hey, the money was there. You know, it ain't a lot of money. You can go over to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird and you can see, you know, how many people are patrons of the show. I just want to say thanks to you patrons. And while I'm at it, I want to say thank you to all of the customers who have purchased any of my little instructional videos for mandolin. I got banjo instruction course. I got um, uh, play the banjo by ear. I got the dulcimer instruction course. Um, claw hammer banjo videos, all the mandolin stuff. It's just I got all kind of stuff there. And the, the customers who have bought that and the jam session survival and the Flint Hill Scrolls and all that stuff. The Upright Bass Course. I thank you, too. I really do. Okay, so let's read some, or rather, I'll now put on my glasses and read some emails from some of your fellow listeners. And some of these people may sound just like you. And so here we go. The first one 
is, and these are kind of in chronological order. I just printed out a stack of them in the order in which they came in, and I stick them in my little folder in my mail thing. This is from Paul, and I'm going to screw up your last name, Fickies. F-I-C-K-E-S. See, I'd pronounce that Fickies, but it might be Fix, or it might be Fikes, or Fickus. No, but I think his name is Paul Fickies. Okay, so here we go. Hi, Brad. Happy to be a patron of Grass Talk Radio. I'm 63 and retiring from a career as a tax and business attorney. Paul, I could have used you many times in my life. Oh, man. If I could, well, enough of that. I'm a retiring from a career as a tax and business attorney in Missoula, Montana. So any of you people around Missoula, look for Paul. My passions are making furniture by hand, unplugged. I'm a hand tool junkie. Me too, Paul. You remember that old show, The Woodwright Shop? When I was a kid, I used to love that. Watch it on Channel 8. It used to come out of Athens, Georgia. And he'd be running on the treadmill and making a, a foot-powered lathe and all that stuff. And I'm sort of eaten up with that idea, too. I think that, you know, it's kind of the bluegrass way to do things the old way. You know, not the clip-on mic and the wireless transmitter and the pedal board, you know. <laughs> all right, back to the email. I'm a hand tool junkie, fly fishing, old Montana guide, uh, which, and my printer kind of smeared there. Oh, 30 years ago, force, ah, my printer smeared right there. I need a new cartridge. I'll charge that to the patrons. Uh, forced me to go to law school, having come to realize the financial foolhardiness of being a professional fly fishing guide did not bode well for long-term security. He's a wise guy. I think probably a lot of great bluegrass musicians have made similar choices to uh, get into something that actually will pay the bills. Um, road biking. Uh, ooh, da, 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 da. Road biking rides three to six century rides each summer. I'm assuming that's like going out for a hundred mile ride or something. I don't know. I probably couldn't do that today. Maybe, maybe if it was a real flat country like Kansas, I could probably pull it off. Uh, my wife and I have, Always have a couple of dogs hanging around, and they are our passion as well. Have listened to bluegrass very minimally over the years until five years ago when I picked up my first bluegrass album. I'm a vinyl guy. And by three years ago, became a bluegrass music junkie. Welcome. Welcome, Paul. <laughs> it's about time. I've collected about 50 to 60 albums now. In October, I decided, my printer smeared again, to play it as well and obtained a learner's mandolin, a washburn. Started picking up your mandolin materials, eventually the treasure chest. Look up mandolin treasure chest on my website. You'll know what he's talking about. Began listening to Grass Talk Radio new episodes and working through old episodes. At the same time, began taking Peghead Nation's beginning mandolin course, and now in the intermediate bluegrass class as well. Oh, also began taking private Skype lessons with my Peghead instructor. And then he goes through uh, mentioning a whole bunch of my competition there, which I'm just going to skip over. Um, 
Next paragraph. Hey, if they mention me on their podcast, I'll come back and read that paragraph. <laughs> but it is funny. I, I do mention plenty of other people. Uh, one thing that I, I'll just enter, um, I'll just drop in here right now, is I get an email a day from one particular uh, purveyor of instructional materials. I get an email a day, every single day without fail. You know, makes me feel like I'm somebody. I don't do that. Maybe I'm just too lazy to send out an email a day, but I, anyway, next paragraph from Paul from Grass Talk Radio. I learned about the Mandolins and Beer and Walls of Time podcast, learned about being a good student, learned about jams and festivals. Things are going great. Must be because I picked up a new mandolin this month, an R.L. Givens. It's a good mandolin. They've been around a long time. With my wife's encouragement to do so, which is always good. you got to have the kitchen pass. I'd say, strictly from Grass Talk Radio, I was able to force myself to go seek out jams before I was ready for them. That has, that has been the best single thing I've done. I have a couple of weekly and couple of monthly I attend with all experienced players. I've said it over and over. Always try to people, play with people better than you. And he's doing it. Maybe he's not doing it right now, but uh, let's see. He figured out if I learned to chop early on, I was always welcome as a beginner. Blah, blah, blah. I'm, I, this is a really long one. I, I, Sorry, Paul. I'm editing a little bit on the fly here every time you mention some of my competition. Uh, let's see. Uh, to end with, sorry, don't know how to tell my journey in three sentences. Your dynamics episode was so timely for me in my journey. I'm at the point where I'm trying to develop good tone and starting to really pay attention to non-tempo-related picking, which I'm quickly discovering I'm picking up tempo rapidly now without even realizing it. So he's speeding up without realizing it. And, you know, that's natural, but it has to be observed and kept in control. Um, I'm married to my gnome now. now. He means the metronome. Thanks to your podcast as well. Okay, have to run. Sorry it's a little longer than you thought it would be. Thanks for doing the podcast. I hope you're able to keep keeping on. Paul. Thanks, Paul. And uh, he's emailed me a couple of other times, too. And I appreciate uh, appreciate the support and uh, just encouragement, Paul. And hope everybody out there in Missoula will find Paul and pick with him. All right, next email. This is from Ryan Elliott. Dear Brad, I am a 28-year-old mandolin player. Oh, I was a 28-year-old mandolin player once upon a time. Boy, those were the days. Really, those were the days. So, Ryan, I hope those these are the days for you. And currently live in St. Augustine, Florida. I love St. Augustine, oldest city in America. If I have a weekend just to get away and go fool around, St. Augustine is the place I love to go. Uh, love that place. My bluegrass story started by going to Swanee Spring Fest for the first time in 2007 and, oh, as a high school student. So I kind of get, you know, what part of bluegrass he's coming from. I, too, have performed at the Swanee Spring Fest. I believe it was 2010. I'll save that tale for another time. 
I think we spent more time riding around in a golf cart than paying attention to the music that year. But as the years went on and we kept going, I got really interested in the music. He might have been there in 2010 when I played there with the Mosier Brothers. Who knows? Might have been. Did four sets down there. I decided to buy a mandolin a few years back and hooked up with a great mandolin player, instructor in Tallahassee named Mickey Abraham before moving to St. Augustine. I am just starting to go to jam sessions here and am planning to start playing open mic soon with another local guitar player. Your podcast is great, thanks, and really helpful for getting the confidence to get out there and play as well as pointers on how to do it effectively. My wife's grandmother actually lives in America's Georgia, too. So it's funny to hear you talk about some of these places I'm semi-familiar with. Cheers, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, if you get a chance, send me an email and uh, tell me how to contact your wife's grandmother. I might even know her. Maybe she hangs around Pat's place or something. And as you can tell, I'm talking now to the audience, this was written post or pre-pandemic, because he's talking about all these jams he's going to. Right now, Ryan's probably sitting at home fooling around with jam tracks, just waiting for all this to be over. Anyway, thanks a bunch, Ryan. I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, hook me up with, with your grandmother-in-law, you know, like the, like the meter. All right. Next email. This is from Doug Bissell. Remember the Bissell broom? I wonder if he's somehow related to those geniuses who created my favorite little kitchen and household contraption, the Bissell broom. You don't have to plug it in. Oh, it works so good. I love the Bissell broom. Hi, Brad. Been listening since the beginning and even sent you some dollar sign here and there. Doug, I appreciate you. My chickens appreciate you. My dog appreciate you. My kid appreciate you. Because you've bought hot dogs, you've bought gas for the car. I do appreciate you. <laughs> I live in Eugene, Oregon. Am 52, have been playing the mandolin for around four years, and been getting more disciplined in the last year. I played woodwinds back in my school days for 12 years. That's always a plus. Not just woodwinds, but a little music training early in life really does help. And the mandolin is my first fretted instrument. I went into a shop to buy a ukulele on a whim, and the guy behind the counter said, Have you seen one of these? And the rest is history. He sold me a revival Chinese-made mando that still plays pretty well and is my traveling companion. I've upgraded to a Kentucky 505 and just picked up a cheap electric to live out my rock and roll dreams. I've done that, too. I have a, a Fender... FM60E 5-string that I've played two hours total. I'm just, it's not really my thing. Anyway, I have one. Continuing with Doug's email, I've started to be able to tell the difference between higher-end mandos and what I'm playing, so I've started saving up for the next stage. Played a Weber Vintage that I really liked, and I've also been considering having a custom Having a custom built by someone like Adam Mowry. Not familiar with Mowry. I play a little of everything, but I'm probably most into the jam grass scene. Cool. That's cool. Which is ironic because I'm terrible at improv. 
Hey, you got that. You, everybody's terrible at improv, you know, for a while, and you get less terrible over time. I travel a lot, so I play mostly for myself, as it is hard to regularly go to jams. With my musical background, I'm pretty good at sight-reading tab for melody lines, but chords are my bane. I've been working hard on them so that I'm not totally lost when I can make it to a jam. I've been attending the River of the West mandolin camp for the last few years, and that has been a great experience to hang out and play with others that are similarly obsessed. I take a lot of Matt Flinner's courses. Matt Flinner is just an incredible mandolin player. Since it keeps me playing regularly multiple times a week, and I have finally attained mediocre status after forcing the wife and cats to suffer through my beginning lessons. I also pick away at exercises in the mandolin treasure chest. See bradleylaird.com for that. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, da, da. And your podcast keeps me motivated as well. I mentioned on a mandolin cafe th thread that my personal mandolin Mount Rushmore. Oh man, now I'm starting to get the big head. His personal mandolin Mount Rushmore would be Matt Flinner, Brian Oberlin, Baron Collins Hill, and some guy named Bradley Laird. Since these are the folks that have provided me with amazing resources to turn my flailing into something resembling music. As long as you keep putting out episodes, I'll keep listening. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Thanks. Feels pretty good to be up there on Mount Rushmore. And that, that makes me think, who would be my Mount Rushmore of mandolin players? You know, that'd be a cool thing. Maybe I'll do a show on that course we would have bill monroe he would you know his stone face looking out from mount rushmore that would be good carve him old presidents off of there and put up bill monroe uh bobby osborne jesse mcreynolds and i don't know who 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 that last one who 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 tough tough and you want to say sam bush some of you want to say chris thiele some of you want to say david grisman Ah, we'll just put Grisman up there since he's older than the rest of them. All right, next email. Here we go. This is from Stephen Dyer. All right, let me see. He says, hello, let me see now. A hundred words or less. Didn't make it. Played guitar to my dog for a long time. Started going to slow jams about four years ago. Met some encouraging folks from the Rhode Island Bluegrass Alliance, R-I-B-A, if you're up in Rhode Island, look them up, folks. Four of us slow jammers started going early or staying late at the jams. That's a good idea, by the way, because sometimes the jam, if you get there early, you can do a little, like, a little more personal stuff. You know, you can, you know, that guitar player who showed up early and they know it's a half hour until it really starts and they'll sit there and play your little stuff with you. And then afterwards, you know, if you, if you can hang around, you know, and then help clean up or whatever. All right, back to his email. Next thing I know, we're a band named the Ocean State Ramblers, playing at farmer's markets, senior centers, etc. And now we're getting the occasional restaurant, fair, or local festival gig. Thanks, Stephen. I'm glad you're in Rhode Island, so you're not. if you were here in America, you'd be stealing all my gigs. <laughs> but seriously, this is how you do it. 
That's what I did when I'd been playing a couple of years. That's exactly what I did. And that's how you learn how to entertain. That's how you learn to play. That's how you learn to deal with PAs. And, you know, how you learn to, to um, do something on a stage that people actually want to see and hear. Okay, next paragraph. Reba, which is Rhode Island Bluegrass Alliance, has an instrument learner loaner program. Since the band needed a bass player and not two guitar players, I was able to get a head start on learning the bass before purchasing my own. A similar thing has happened with the banjo, so now I play more bass and banjo than guitar. That's okay. I like the role of the bass. It suits me personally, I think. It suits my personality, I think. Me too. At, at this stage, when I was 28, as I said in that other email, I wanted to play mandolin. I wanted to step up there and burn it up. Now, you know, at age 60, I actually like playing the bass better and watching all those other people out there doing their thing. I really, I'm, I'm like you now. And the banjo is just, well, fun. That is so true. So much to learn, though. And continuing with his email, that's way too much use of the word I, but you asked for it. Hey, in these favorite emails, you should use I a lot, because this email is about you, which is I. That got me to thinking maybe a topic for the future might include a, dis a discussion on players whose personality matches the instruments they play. Not sure what you can make of that. Well, let me interject. I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about this thing a lot, that you could line a bluegrass band up and don't tell me who plays what. You know, they're just standing there with no instruments, and I'll bet you I'd get 80% right every time because you can say, you can look at people and kind of figure out what they play, <laughs> I think. Um, anyway, not sure what you can make of that. The bass seems like an obvious one for a personality that likes to be counted on. No pun intended, although that's a beautiful pun. Dependable, important, but prefers to remain in the background. You've nailed it there. I anybody who would read my Bluegrass Bass Instruction course is going to get a good lecture about getting used to that. Um, and for all of you would-be bass players, uh, I'll just sidetrack here for a little commercial, scope out my Bluegrass Bass instruction course and learning system and or learning system. Appreciate your podcast, Stephen. That's from Stephen Dyer. Right, I'm going to do one more because I've been blabbing here for over 40 minutes. And I, I mean, I haven't even gone. I got a stack of these things. I'll do some more next week. I hear Sadie out there barking. Hopefully it's not that fox. I had a, a fox that had been uh, raiding the hen house in broad daylight. A couple of times last week, I mean, I, I saw it and Sadie chased it through the barn. And I'm out there with my rifle and took a couple of shots at it and missed it. And so I've switched now to the shotgun. <laughs> but he hadn't come back. I guess those couple of you know, I parted his hair with the 22, and maybe he's learned his lesson. Joker came out in broad daylight, about 10 in the morning, just creeping along, you know, going straight for the hen house. I got, of course, I got the door open on one of them because I've let him out. Oh, total chaos and mayhem. And I know it's not fox season, but uh, 
you know, as a chicken farmer, I do have the right to protect my livestock. I'm not really expecting that fox to come back anytime soon. Okay, here we go. Last email for this episode. This is from Brent Henderson. Hi, Brad. Heard your call for email messages and thought I would drop you a line. And I appreciate it, Brent. I am 62 years old and a five-string banjo beginner in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Awesome. World needs more banjo players. You know, that is the happiest thing. I've been so depressed here lately with all this stuff going on. And uh, just sometimes just feeling all sorry for myself and all pathetic and pitiful. And Well, last night I was kind of feeling that way and saw my banjo case sitting over there, opened it up, pulled it out, got my old uh, stew Mac, and it's tuned up in the low D tuning with the John Hartford heavy gauge strings on it. And I just started plunking on it, thinking, oh, how rotten it is. I can't go pick. And I just started picking, and pretty soon I forgot all about that. I was playing and playing and playing, having a little one-man bluegrass festival. Just me and my banjo. Me and my old banjo. That was a uh, Osborne Brothers song. Look it up. Me and my old banjo. Back to Brent's email. I started playing about five years ago. Not, I'm not any good at playing, but there is something about it that holds my interest. I have tried a few other instruments in the past, but never persevered. However, I find it pleasant to sit outside in the summer near the ocean and pick away at a tune. That's where it all starts. I love to listen to friends play guitars around the campfire. One fellow plays a mandolin, of which I also admire the sound. Hey, Brent, get you one. You know, that's what I did. I was eat up with a banjo, and then I became a mandolin player. Uh, anyway, the idea of getting better so that I could jam with him is maybe a possibility someday, but in the meantime, I play for my own enjoyment. Well, that's all good, Brent. You got to play with other people. Just do it. Just do it. I really enjoy your podcast and have listened to all the episodes. That's amazing. That is a lot of time. Maybe only listen to every other one and then spend the rest of the time jamming. When the jams open back up. No, that's... A, man, I appreciate that. Almost almost makes me self-conscious to think that somebody listened to every single episode. That's like hundred and... I don't know. I, I think there's a little thing on the website where I calculated one time that you could leave Montauk Point, Long Island, start listening to episode one, drive 55 all the way to San Diego, continuously listening 24 hours a day to every episode. And when you get to San Diego, you wouldn't be done yet. You'd have to sit on the beach in San Diego for another five or six days to catch up to this episode. So, Brent, I appreciate that. That, that does make me feel good. I heard you the first time on the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, another of my favorites. This is one of my favorites, too. And that was a really nice thing that um, Keith Billick over at Picky Fingers did, where we, we did a joint episode, kind of interviewed each other, and then put it out on both feeds. That was cool. I wish I could talk a few more podcasters into doing a similar thing. Because Brent here proves that it helps. It helps. There isn't much banjo music in Canada, and I've never heard bluegrass music live. 
Well, Brent, you just need to do a little more digging. There is a good bit of bluegrass in Canada. Just going to take you a little more digging and a lot more driving to uh, locate them. Uh, but there are there are bluegrass pickers in Canada. Um, maybe on a trip to the USA someday. Now, trust me, you've, you'll find some bluegrassers. Uh, just uh, go look at the Bluegrass Unlimited Festival calendar, which I know right now and all that. But look at it. There's, there's quite a few festivals. And all of the major bluegrass acts in the U.S. when they're touring, I have to put that asterisk on everything right now, uh, all play Canada. So scope it out. Do some more digging. Uh, thanks for the great podcast, Brent. Thanks for writing, Brent. All right, I think I'm going to pull the plug here. Now, let me do one more. This is such a short one. This guy put a lot into this thing, and I appreciate that. At this point, this is the perfect email uh, from Timothy Argo. Timothy, I want to thank you. This is the perfect um, email to end this episode with. Responding to your latest podcast, I'm a guitar player, six years. Oregon, 30 years old. Keep up the good work and a thumbs up. Right on. Now, that's a man of few words. Reminds me of that line from the, uh, who was that band? The uh, Austin Lounge Lizards. And that song, it starts, I'm a man of few words. And they just vamp, vamp, vamp. And the audience starts chuckling and chuckling. And then he finally comes in with the next line. This is what Timothy Argo reminds me of. Thanks, Timothy. Short and sweet. Keep up the good work. I'll do my best. I will talk to y'all in the next podcast. And everybody take care. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have any advice for you right now. Uh, except uh, common sense. That would be my only advice. Y'all take care. See you in the next episode. I'm a man of few words But a few is enough A man don't need to talk He just gets up and walks When the going gets rough I got feelings down deep Still I think you don't care Well I've made up my mind Got to leave you behind And start living out there But paint me on velvet And do not the bright silver teardrops that you brought to my eyes hang me out by the roadside for the whole world to see Jesus and Elvis